26. It has been a beautiful day so far. Would you say amen? amen. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. All over this room, we, if you were to just pause and look around, every person in here is a testimony of God's faithfulness. I think I'll say that again. There's nobody here because they have been faithful. If you look around you or just touch yourself, the reason why we're here today is because God has been faithful. Yes, he has. And I want to talk about that today. Genesis 1 and 26 is where I would encourage you to go. And this is a very familiar passage of scripture. Let's see what God has to say. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Those are powerful words. In our likeness. And let them. Let who everybody? Let them rule over the fish of the sea. The birds of the air. Over the livestock. Over all the earth. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created man in what everybody? In his own image. Somebody needs to know that today. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Verse 28. God blessed them and said, to them be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Any blessed folk in here right now? Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I know you're in your word today. Look at verse 29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they, are, they, they, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has, bre- has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food and it will sow. Verse 31. So God saw all that he had made and said, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens 
and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Verse 2. But the seventh day, what day did I say, everybody? The seventh day, God had finished the work that he had done. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, our last passage that we'll read today is in verses 15 through 18 of the same chapter. Genesis 2, our final passages this morning, verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? The Bible says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But, verse 17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Let the church say amen to the reading of the word. Let's pray. Father, we are going to get into this word today, but we cannot do it without the insights of the Holy Spirit. Right now, there is the unseen presence of demonic spirits that have targeted individuals, knowing that the word that comes today can be life-changing. I'm praying right now that the angels that excel in strength will be alert to the danger that is to come and would protect the seed of the word so that your people might receive what God is saying to the church today. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen, amen. and amen and amen again. Praise the Lord, everybody. That was somebody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hopefully you got some time to hear a word from the Lord today. The title of our message today is The Backdrop, The Backdrop of Betrayal. The Backdrop of Betrayal. We are in our God is Love series. And what this essentially is, is we are preaching and teaching on the story of salvation. The story of salvation has three words to it. God is love. What are those three words, everybody? God is love. That is the story of your life. That's the story of my life. Thank God for those three words. Would you say amen? amen. God is love. Uh, there are seven phases. How many phases did I say, everybody? Amen. There are seven phases to the story of salvation in the Bible. They're organized in seven sections. And I want to reiterate them to you right now so that you can know where we are on the continuum of time. All right. The first phase is pre-creation. What is the first phase, everybody? In other words, before you got here, there was a here. For you showed up. There was a conflict in heaven. We know that there was war in heaven. Where was there war, everybody? Before there was you, there was God. Come on, say amen. There's pre-creation. Secondly, there is creation. What's the second phase, everybody? Creation. Creation is the series we're in now. And over the next several weeks, we are going to be talking about 
the impact of creation on our lives as it relates to us as believers. And we're going to walk through Genesis 1 through 12. These are the most debated passages of scripture in the whole Bible. Genesis 1 through 12 has created atheists. Genesis 1 through 12 has created Islam. Genesis 1 through 12 has created Christianity. Genesis 1 through 12 has created Catholicism. It is out of these 12 chapters of the Bible that so much confusion has erupted in the world. But by the grace of God, we're going to walk carefully through these chapters and lay out the truth of God's word. Would you say amen? And so there's pre-creation, creation, and then after creation, there's, there's conflict. What did I say, everybody? So after creation came sin, which we'll touch on today. And then after conflict, there then comes covenant. In other words, God didn't leave us hanging when sin came in. God says, I got to find an arrangement, not a contract. A contract says, if you jacked up, the contract is over. But a covenant says, no matter what you've done, I'm here. Come on, say amen. God's love is not conditional. Let the church say amen. Your love is conditional. My love is conditional. But God's love, I feel good about this thing already, is not conditional to the glory of God. Pre-creation, creation, conflict, covenant. And then after covenant comes Christ. There had to be a solution because the covenant, we couldn't keep our end of the bargain. So, 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 so they sent Jesus to make up the difference for where we came short. Then after Christ comes the church. Then after the church comes recreation. How many know what season are we in right now? Are we in pre-creation? Are we in creation? Are we in conflict? Are we in covenant? Are we in Christ? Are we in the church? Recreation? What phase are we in, Bible students? What phase are we in? We are in the age of the church. There's only one more stage left. And that stage is the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are literally at the end of the salvation story. It's almost over. The battle is almost over. I thought I'd get somebody to talk to. Unless, unless you done got beaten up a little bit by the devil, that won't, that won't relate to you at all. But for those of you who've been fighting a devil all week long and all your whole life, the devil been having his foot on your neck. Isn't it good to know that it's almost over? And the Bible says that I'm not going to be a conqueror. The Bible says I'm already, I'm, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm victorious. That's why I talk like I'm victorious. I don't talk the, the, the talk, the language of defeat in my life. God help me to preach this today. I don't speak as one who's going to get victory, but I, I, I fight from a position of victory. That's why the Bible says I ought to put on the whole armor of God. Why, Lord? You want me to fight? He said, no, stand. We are not operating from a loser's perspective. Where y'all at in here? Your boy right here is victorious. Some of you know that I act like you're victorious. Maybe you'll start thinking that way. But for those of you today that know you've already got the victory. Give God some praise. Say, I, victory is mine. It's mine in my family. It's mine over my life. It's mine over my children. I claim today that I've already won. I'm not waiting to win. I got to calm down already. I'm getting too excited too soon. But victory is mine. Mine. 
No matter, and by the way, let me just say this. No matter what the devil is doing in your life to get you to think otherwise, I need you just for a minute today. Because some of y'all look, some of y'all struggling with this thing. Y'all waiting for dinner time. But before dinner, can you just admit for a minute? Yeah, I don't feel like I've got victory. But if I go with what the word says, the word says, I have the victory. I am already my, uh, come on. Every, look, think of every problem in your life and say, it's already done. Think of every situation in your life and say, I've got the victory. Think of every problem that has you up at night and, and has you has your sleeping in during the day and has tears on your pillow. The word of the Lord today is, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already victorious. When I look at the people of God sometimes, oh, some of us are not marketable. No, seriously. We're not marketing Jesus. We're marketing what Jesus has done in your life. Is your experience with God of such, I ain't say you were perfect, so back up. No, Pastor, you don't even go there because I know my life. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I know you ain't perfect, but, but are there those here today who at least are, are excited about what God has done in your life to the extent that when folks need to see your passion for God, they say, I want some of that. I know they're going through hell, but they praise God even when they're suffering. I know that they're fighting for their lives, but they fight differently. Well, today, I want to talk about his goodness. I want to start by saying the backdrop. This is a backdrop. Uh, a backdrop is another word of saying the backstory, the context, the what everybody. And then I think for a minute, the backdrop of evil on our planet makes no sense, James Norton. Now, uh, there are some neighborhoods where we look and we say, I understand. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Uh, my wife and I just yesterday. Oh, no, no. What was it? My wife. Was it was you, Sinead? Was it the kids? I can't remember. We were in the car. Somebody. And we, yes, it was yesterday. We were on our way to the Fred Hammond concert and j- crossing the street. What well, I'm saying, there are some situations we say, oh, I expect evil to come out of this. Right. Uh, the, the, uh, a, a mother with, with her children, little boy, not even three years old, uh, walking across traffic. Uh, jaywalking, I might say. They didn't wait for the light. Uh, the little boy didn't move as fast as she wanted him to. And, and then the language. Oh! Oh! Get your blankety blank across this street, you blankety blank. You fill in the blanks. And the neighborhood that we were in, I would say, oh, y'all not, y'all don't want to pray. Come on, talk to me, saints. Please don't, 
please stop this. Look, look at, at least look interested. I told my deacons to say amen, even if I ain't saying nothing. Come on, say, hey, listen, and if I'm, and if I, if I'm struggling in the message and you ain't getting nothing, say, help him, Lord. Say something, though. You're less likely to go to sleep. Uh, uh, So, 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 so there are certain places that we say evil will come from there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, Okay, I get it. Look at the neighborhood. I expect that. Now, if uh, contact the backdrop of evil, there are certain there are certain places we expect evil is there. Come on, say amen. Now, some of y'all grew up in the hood, but there are some neighborhoods you won't even go to no more. Some of y'all won't even go to your own neighborhood no more. You won't even do it because, you know, come on, say amen. Amen. Now, the difference between us and animals is our limbic system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We have choice. We have conscious. See, you ever seen those uh, National Geographic uh, 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 videos and and you'll see a lion and you'll see like a gazelle, right? Or or a giraffe or or a zebra. And you're saying to yourself, uh, the last time you were there, zebra... The last time you were there, there was a lion. Why are you back in this same area? There's certain areas where lions dwell. But you have to understand, see, an animal does not know how to process danger. An animal has something called fight or flight. In other words, they have to see danger in order to know that there's danger there. But human beings, we can think in the abstract. In other words, I know there's certain neighborhoods that I should not go to at a certain time of night because I know in advance bad neighborhood. The other day I was at Raymond. I took, I did an illustration and I bought a rat trap. No, nobody's going to admit that they know what that is because it might. Oh, do you know what a rat trap is? So I took a rat trap and I was using an illustration about how Satan catches people in sin, right? And it was kind of fun. And then it hit me. You know, one rat saw the rat trap. Why didn't he go back? I mean, the one that made it. When he, when he saw his buddy get caught by the rat. Why didn't he go and say, hey, y'all. Next time we see one of them wooden things with some peanut butter or cheese at the end of it. It's a setup. You know why a rat doesn't do that? Because animals cannot think in the hypothetical. Animals cannot think in the abstract. Animals have to see danger. Human beings are different. We are able to process A plus B should equal C. And so if you are processing this thing and you look at creation, I want to work this thing today. If you look at creation, God, the master architect and designer, you're talking about interior design, exterior design. You're talking about somebody who is limitless in their creative power and potency. And as he is creating, Lord help me, Jesus, as he is creating, he is creating over six days with one thing in mind, how to make human beings happy. He is not holding back in any regard. He is not he is not being conservative in his approach to creation. God has this attitude at creation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out all my stops, all my creative power, all my creative juices. I'm going to let the, the mind of God go wild. And, and here's, here's, here's the thing. He's, he for six days plants, creates the perfect environment. I was in San Diego. I love San Diego. 80 degree weather. Not humid. All year long. 
perfect climate for black people. Come on, say amen. Perfect. No, I'm serious. When, I, when I'm in certain climates, uh, my acne flares up. When I'm in other climates, I'm serious. It, it goes down. I mean, your body just, I mean, anybody, you're old, you guys are getting older now. I know I'm not an old man, but, but uh, uh, somebody told me they brought Arthur to church with them today. Y'all know who I'm talking about. And, and sometimes the humidity, uh, if it rains, I used to think that was a joke. Isn't it true that if there's a little humidity in the air, you feel your bones yeah, that's right. <laughs> aching just a little bit. Can I tell you what has happened? As a result of sin, the planet that God created in total perfection to the extent that God looked at his own stuff, stood back and said, oh, that's good. (laughs) Okay, y'all want me to open that thing up a little bit more for you? I'm going to do the best I can. Can, can you? No, 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 no. Now, it's one thing for you to stand back and admire your work or the work of somebody else. But I'm talking about God standing back and impressing himself. He so created the planet. Now, I want you to get this in mind. The question that we told you last week that we ought to be asking about creation, because there's so much confusion on creation. There's evolutionists, there's theistic evolution, there's social Darwinism. There's all these philosophies and things that basically have one thing under the foundation of it. Selfishness, trying to figure God out. I told you, look at me right now. I told you that the the beginning to failure in life is trying to figure God out, trying to understand what God is doing. God never told us to understand understand or figure out what he's doing. God told us to trust him no matter what he's doing because God is going to do, I'm telling you the truth, God is going to do some things in your life that don't make sense. You'll be tempted to blame the devil, but not realize that God's ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. There are, you cannot figure God out. And what has happened with creation is, is you've got these bright minded folk who only operate, they say, on less than 10% of their brain power. And they're looking at creation they're looking at faults. They're looking at the, the geological risks in the earth. And they're trying to figure God out. They're looking at the human body. And let, let's talk about something that's just amazing. The immune system. Where is it? Some physician, point out to me in your body where the immune system is. Where is it? It's a system, but it's there. It tells me when I'm in pain. It tells me when I'm sick. And if it gets weak, come on somebody. Only the mind of God could put that in us. Somebody help me today. Somebody explain to me saliva. Y'all not hearing me right now. Explain to me saliva. Explain to me how your body is made up. It's a physical matter. We're matter. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a spirit. I'm a physical being. But check this out. Uh, do you realize that 70% of me and you is water? How is it that we walk? How is it that we move? I can't, listen, go to med school. Figure that stuff out. And they will even tell you that medicine is not a science. It's an art. Because you cannot figure, oh God. The lesson in this is, when you try to figure God out, creation, when you try to figure, you go crazy. 
And, and, and 90% of our world is crazy about God. Now, I'm not talking about crazy in the sense that they want God. I'm talking about crazy in the sense that there are so many different views of God. And get this right now. Satan's number one goal is not simply to prove that God doesn't exist, but to make God look like him. Don't worry about atheism. Don't worry about it. Most folks who say they're atheists are not. They're really agnostic, which means they're mad at God. And I would be mad at God, too, based on how God has been presented by me and you. So people are, dis- they are rejecting uh, the God that we have portrayed. Anybody ever grow up with this notion that when God comes to your name, oh, yeah, oh, where are my folk at who know what I'm talking about? You, you remember being taught that, that he is going name by name. And when he comes to your name, you better hope you're doing the right thing. Because if you're not... You're going to be lost. I'm telling you now, I don't want to serve that kind of God. That's a self-serving God. How can you say that? Let me tell you why. Because you created me with choice. You, you put evil in the garden. The option for evil was put in the garden by God. The devil didn't put it there. God put. Somebody's put They're pushing me to say choice. Because you feel, you feel really uncomfortable with the notion that God made provision for evil. That makes you uncomfortable. Go ahead, pastor. Say choice. Well, that's what choice is. Choice gives you the option of resisting God. Come on, talk to me, saints. Uh, so watch what happens here. I got I to gotta read this to you because I want you to see this carefully. Creation put the existence of the universe and God himself at risk. At what? When God created humanity, it was an occupational hazard. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, what is an occupational hazard? An occupational hazard is an understanding of a risk that is involved in a certain kind of job. A, a fireman, what is his occupational hazard? He could die in a fire. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't run away from the responsibility because the fireman knows, listen, part of my job is I can lose my life. Now, I hope the police officers understood this. I, hope the police, I wish the police officers in Ferguson, come on, say man, in Cleveland would understand that they're not supposed to be taking lives. I feel God in here. (laughs) We got more police. Lord, help me, Jesus. They all ain't bad. Come on, say amen. But there's a risk at being a police officer that my life's in danger. Are y'all talking? Are y'all with me right now? These football players. That's why their contracts are. Do you realize a football player's contract is really not a contract at all? If a football player, they promise a $50 million, but a football player gets hurt. Guess what? Contract null and void. 
because it's an occupational hazard. You know, if you play football, you're going to get what? Hurt. What am I saying? Oh, let me tell you another occupational hazard. Gossiping. It's an occupational hazard. Oh, come on in here. I don't want, nobody will talk to me. Uh, If you talk about other people, stand in the line of fire and know it's coming back on you. And don't you open your mouth up about folk talking about you when you don't run your mouth. That's the risk you run when you dog people. Fornication. Mm. Mm. Here's an occupational hazard. Hello, AIDS. Hello, crabs. Oh, come on. Hello, chlamydia. Hello, pregnancy. Somebody say hello, gonorrhea. And all the sisters. Do you hear what I'm saying? There are certain behaviors. And see, the problem with us is, is we don't want to assume the risk. As, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying not to use myself as an example too much. Uh, but, but I'm just saying, I, I, and God had to work with this. He said, Myron, if you're going to pastor, then you cannot have, you can't be super sensitive. I'm I'm talking about me, but I'm talking about you. There are certain responsibilities that God has given you that uh, it comes with the territory. You're a parent. Like this, this parent I saw cussing and acting a fool. Your responsibility. It's the nurture and development of another human being. That's an occupational hazard. Can I tell you what the hazard is? For those of you honest parents who want to admit it for, for right now, uh, 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 confession is good for the soul. You know the occupational hazard of parenting is? That you are raising yourself. Uh, some of us get so mad at our children. But our children are all us. We're all up in them. And we're mad about stuff. It's an occup- Marriage is an occupational hazard. Oh, God, help me to preach this right now. Marriage is an occupational hazard. When you, when, God, when you decide to get married, your vows said in sickness and in health, God help me, for richer or for poor, for better or for worse, you declared it. And everybody's running away from marriage. They told you in the beginning that it would cost you your soul and cost you your life and cost you everything inside of you. Now, here's the point. Most of us do not want to accept responsibility for the assignments that have been given to us. We like the blessings of our responsibility, but we do not like the difficulty of our responsibility. Oh, please, come on, talk to me, saints. Being a Christian is an occupational hazard. When you came down the aisle with tears in your eyes, we were talking on the prayer line this morning. Has anybody ever 
notice that when you're serving the devil, you ain't sick. You ain't really broke. Well, you're not as broke as you are when you start serving the Lord. Have you ever noticed that, that it almost seems like life is okay? I have noticed the occupational hazard of a Christian is the minute I give my life to Jesus Christ. The, or the minute, for those of you who've already done that, the minute you make a change, Gwen, the minute you make a change, Monique, the minute you say, I can't stay where I am, I need to take another step in God. And don't pray this kind of prayer. God, increase my faith. God, give me the Holy Spirit. God, make me more like you. God, make me a loving person. When you pray those prayers, you are inviting the Holy Spirit to take your behind through trial and tribulation. And then you turn around and act like you ain't know it was coming. Read the Bible. Look at every great person in the Bible. I was chopping up with my man out there. Moses knew that God had a call on his life, but he could not even walk into the call, Sister Radney, until he was 80 years old. Some of y'all, I can't wait anymore. I've been praying and God hasn't answered yet. I just don't know. It was like, can you imagine Moses? Year one. Wilderness. Year 10, still waiting. 15. You got 25 more years, bro. Now, see, we know the end of the story, so it doesn't bother us. But consider that Moses was with sheep. Animals. Y'all, y'all always make it look real spiritual. He's with sheep. What an what a honorable task. He was with animals for 40 years. And one of the things I want to say to you right now is the trials and tests in your life are occupational hazards. Yes, but they are tests. They are tests. You are being tested because God is trying to see like Moses, if you can handle 40 years with animals, because if you can't handle the animals, then you ain't going to be able to handle the people that I want you to lead the next 40 years of your life. God, help me to preach this now. There are some of us that God has put some stuff in front of us in our lives. And you're saying, why haven't I gotten my blessing yet? Why haven't God opened the doors that I've been praying for? Because God can't trust you with the stuff that he's put in front of you right now. You've got to learn how to maximize the preparation moment that God has put in your life so that God can trust you with the next level that you've been praying for. Time for some of us to go to work. Some of y'all pray too much. Get up and do something. God doesn't bless sitting. God bless doing. But you say, but the Bible says be still and know that I'm God. You can be still and still be active. I didn't say go ahead of God, but there are some things in your life that God has spoken on and you ain't done nothing about it. Occupational hazard. For God, you know God has an occupational hazard? Being God, uh, look, at, look at the application process for being God. Can we look at that for a minute? Let's, let's pretend that being God is a job that you're applying for. All right? Let's talk about it. 
First, first thing on the qualifications. Have, have to be, have to be eternal. You're going to be God? You can't be confined by time, Carl Poole. I just checked out on that. I can't apply. Second, you have to be omniscient. You got to know everything. <laughs> and you got to know stuff before stuff comes up. Number three, you got to be omnipotent. <laughs> Man, well, now, now, most people say all powerful, but beyond that. It means he has no limitations. God could make a round circle a square and it'd still be a circle. God could make water not wet and it'd still be water. He has no limitations. God could take a drug addict and turn him into a deacon. He got no limitations. God could take a prostitute and turn him into a preacher. Got no limitations. God could take two loaves. <laughs> Y'all not hearing me. And some fish. Come on, say amen. And he can multiply it and feed five. Got no limitations. God can take water, turn it into wine. God. Oh, y'all not hearing me today. God can look at your little bit of money and look at your whole lot of mouth and take your little bit of money when you trust him in your tithes and your offering. And God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. A cattle on a thousand hill belongs to him. And that's just planet earth. Got no limitation. I'm omniscient. I'm omnipotent. I got it all. So most of us in here have been eliminated on point number one, point number two, point number three. But here's the amazing part. According to Genesis, God has foreknowledge. What did I say, everybody? Foreknowledge is the ability to know what's going to happen before it happens. Are you with me today? I'm I'm, going to bring this. I'm going to tie it down in a second, but I need you to get this. Why would a God with all three of those attributes create a perfect world where five times he stands, stay with me now, where five times he stands back and says it's good. The Hebrew word for good basically essentially means beyond perfection. I don't, well, who goes all out for people that he knows is going to kill him? Remember last week I told you the question with creation is not how, but why. Why would a God create a perfect world for people he knew were going to mess it up? There's a song that I used to learn in, 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 in vacation Bible school. Uh, it went something like this. It said, it said uh, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the sun, the stars and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How lovely and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Oh, no, y'all missed that. God created a planet in six days. that's That's barely a week. 
if I were him, if I could create a world in six days, why would I waste time for a whole lifetime with you? Uh, to me, being God ought to make you impatient. Y'all not hearing me today. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying God should be the most impatient being in the universe because he can speak and stuff happens. He created all of this in six days, but he's still working on you. We were reflecting on the prayer line this morning and the Holy Spirit invaded the call and and knocked all of us off of our feet because we realized that we love when compassion and grace and forgiveness and patience is given to us. But we got a hard time giving the same grace and compassion to other people. He's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the sun. The sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Thank you Jesus. Did you hear what I said? I said God is still working on him. He doesn't have to. We 6,000 years in this thing. And he ain't stopped yet. Somebody ought to declare his mercy. Come on in here say, endure it forever. Oh, bless his name. So, so here's the problem. The backdrop of evil makes no sense. All the stuff God did in creation. First thing God did is he gave them a perfect world and designed their living quarters. Now, I know some of y'all live in nice. Pepper Pike. Yeah, let the Negroes up in Shaker now. Come on. Some of y'all wouldn't even go down to Little Italy. Now y'all hanging down there too. Come on. Huh? Moving on up. Huh? And and, and you can't tell some of us nothing about where we live. Uh, Consider your place was made by somebody dead. Adam and Eve had a place called Eden and it was made by God. You know what the word Eden means? Pleasure. Y'all missing it. God created Eden just so we could be happy. That's what I'm trying to tell y'all. It ain't nothing wrong with being a Christian and being happy. Come on, say it, y'all. Lord, some of us, God helped some of us to smile every now and then. Uh, listen, I know they're not yours, and or I know that you're missing a few spaces in between some of them, but who cares what folks say? If the Lord has been good to you, then give him a grin for his glory. There's nothing wrong with being happy. Smile at your boy every now and then. 
Eden, pleasure. Yeah, some of y'all ain't going to be holy enough to handle yeah, Some of y'all are too holy to hold handle what I'm about to say. Eden means pleasure. Then what did he do after that? He made Adam and Eve in the image of God. We are as much like God as humanly possible. And then he took Adam, sisters, Wrap your holy mind around this. It's the Bible. Well, let, let, let me help you here. You, let, me, let, me, let me read it from Ellen White. Man was to bear the image of God, both in outward resemblance and in character. Christ alone is the express image. Hebrews 1.3, but listen to this other father. But man was formed in the likeness of God. Have you ever seen a brother in Cleveland that looked like God? We got some some solid brothers here. I'm not half bad. But uh, the image of God has gotten jacked up in me over the years. Adam was made by God just as much like God looked as a humanly possible. Listen, listen, listen. His nature, and we haven't even talked about his looks. His nature was in harmony with the will of God. Adam would take out the trash and would not need to be reminded. Adam was already a sensitive brother but fully possessed of his manhood. His wife didn't have to beg him to talk or to listen. His mind, now watch this. Adam's mind was capable of comprehending divine things. His affections were pure. His appetites and passions were under the control of reason. He was holy and happy in bearing the image of God and in perfect obedience to his will. Now listen, as man came forth from the hand of his creator, he was of a lofty stature. Uh, Most scholars would suggest that Adam was somewhere there about 12 to 14 feet tall. Fully symmetrical, sisters. Lacking nothing. Lord have mercy. No flaw, no sin, no scar. He was made by the hand, came from dirt. His appearance, as the Hebrew says, was a ruddy appearance. Not only did Adam have have no physical imperfections, he was athletically fit to the extent that he never got tired. He did not age. Now, brothers, buckle your seatbelts. His countenance, sisters here, it says, bore the ruddy tint of health and glow. 
And now watch what it says. It says, Eve was somewhat less in stature. So if Adam was 12, Eve was 11. Feet tall. Yet her form. Come on, Ellen. I'm on on the edge of my seat on this. Said her form was noble. See, I got you. I got you. This is why some of our sisters and brothers are only, only attracted to what they can see. When God is describing Eve, he says that symmetrically she was noble. When, when Eve walked by Adam, totally naked. Am I not right? They didn't have clothes till after sin. We, we understand that the glory of, some of us can't even handle this now. Am I? Oh, help, help us, Lord. I'm, try, I'm not trying to lead you in there. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to lift you up higher, okay? When Eve walked by Adam, Adam turned and looked. But his mind, what'd you say? Can you blame him? But, but, but I would also hasten to say, when Adam walked by, Eve looked. Now, 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 now see, some of us don't, could not even understand this because we are so perverted. But not a carnal thought. Now, 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 what you think carnal means is sexual. No, no, understand. Oh, Lord, help me. Let me move on. God gave them Eden, pleasure. God gave them each other, pleasure. Holy pleasure. Yeah. So y'all too holy. You, no, you think Adam and Eve were sitting down. Eve, shall we hitherto go to the garden peradventure? Married folk, let me appeal to your senses for a minute. Imagine two people who had just come from the hand of God, totally dispossessed of sin, as full of God as possible. The sexual intimacy between the two of them was without, I feel the uncomfortable level rising. There was no perversion whatsoever. Now now watch this. And God gave them a a garden called pleasure. I'm setting this thing up. After he gave them the garden and each other, and if you read carefully in the text, the text says that there were stones that were aromatic. In other words, it says there was so much gold in that area that the gold had a scent to it. Now, all five senses were at work in Eden. All 
five. And they did not disturb. There were no foul smells. So consider now, uh, y'all gotta help me with the senses because I keep forgetting them all the time. But there was sight. So uh, Adam looked at Eve. And the Bible says, you read in the Hebrew, when Adam saw Eve the first time, the Bible literally says that there was a word that he expressed that's untranslatable. I'll tell you what it was. Wow! <laughs> this man! No, I know some of you saints, you're so holy that when you would have seen Eve for the first time, brothers, you would have said, praise the Lord. God is good. Hey, hey, Eve, I'll see you after a long day of work. And there are fools out here running around. Now, Adam and Eve were created on Friday. Uh, Just before the Sabbath, you're telling me that Adam and Eve married, no sin, waited till after the Sabbath. All these gifts, understand now, hear me now, watch me now. All these gifts that God declared were good. All these things were at work. And God had one thing in mind. Remember, we're talking about the backdrop of evil. He had one thing in mind. I want them to love me. I want them to be happy. I want them to enjoy themselves. I want life to be next level living. I want it to be joyous. I want them to smile. I want them to praise me for what I've done. Then, last but not least, God gave them Boundaries. No, no, no. Now watch this. The Bible says that he put right beside the tree of life, which had the ability to perpetuate life in that tree. The Bible says right in the same area, according to Genesis chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. The Bible says in that same area was the tree of knowledge. Have good and evil. And you know what the skeptics say, McNair? They say God set them up. Now think about this for a moment. God has put all this effort and work into six days of creating a perfect planet, creating perfect Eden, creating perfect people so that they can worship a perfect God. They have face-to-face communication with God. Oh, Sabbath, they talk to him face to face during the week. They don't need to pray, read the Bible fast. God's there. They look at, they look at God and live. Then he gave them Sabbath. Now, now, now can I watch this? He gave them a break. Before they did any work. They were created on day what? Sabbath is day what? They ain't work yet. How do they get a rest? Because creation's teaching you about grace. God gives you rest before you do anything. You don't work and then get, come on. Adam wasn't created on day one. Adam was created on day six to show us the great love that God has for us. God doesn't bless you when you work for it. God blesses you before you work for it. And then the tree is there. 
Now, this is where I'm going to end. It says, it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, here's the question I asked. What's wrong with that? Wouldn't you want your creation to have the knowledge of good and evil? Most of y'all spend your whole lives teaching your children, right? I, I didn't understand. I had to ask them, what does that mean? A, a tree of knowledge of good. Father, don't we need to know what is right and what is wrong? Would you, would you not agree with that? How will we know what is wrong unless we know what is right? And how will we know what is right unless we know what's wrong? Well, watch this. God told them not to touch it. Not to go near it. Why? 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 Because here's the thing. The phrase knowledge of good and evil is like saying, you ever heard people pray that it's called, it's a merism. It's a merism phrase. So let me, let me give you an example of that. You ever heard folks say, I, I clean, I looked for my keys from top to bottom. You ever heard that before? That's a merism. Now, you really didn't look from top to bottom. What you're saying is, is I looked everywhere. Huh? You ever, you ever heard old folks pray this prayer? Uh, from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet. Uh, you, even in the Bible, you see this. You say, he said, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I, if I rise to the heavens, thou art there. What is he saying? He's not saying he's been to both places. What he's saying is, I've been everywhere. So when God says the tree of knowledge of good and evil, basically God was telling them, I want you to avoid trying knowing everything. You don't need to know everything. Y'all missing this thing. What God was trying to institute from the beginning was, I want our relationship not to be based on how much you know, but how much you trust me. And what did Satan get her on? See, God's holding something back from you. If you know this, you'll be as gods. But listen, if you know everything, then you don't got no need for God. Some of us trying to know too much instead of how many are learning to accept that you don't know everything and, and accept that you don't have to know everything and, and living in the unknown and living in between your blessings and living in between the moment. Some of us are struggling there, but God says, I prefer you trust me than trust what you know. So what does God want us to know? He doesn't want us to have to know information. He wants us to spend our time knowing. The backdrop of betrayal, you know what it was? Love. You know where sin came from? It came from the womb of unconditional love. Think about your life right now. Think about the things that you have gone through. And I dare you to say that God doesn't love you. I know your life hasn't been easy. I know, I, know, I, I hear you. I know it's been tough. 
I know you've been abused, but you're still here. Now stop trying to figure all that stuff out and accept that that he must have a plan for my life because I'm still breathing. Here's what I'm trying to teach you today. Most of the stuff that we find ourselves getting into that is not worth anything, that's not worth our energy, that's not worth our time, that's sinful, is always done in the face of God's faithfulness. Sin started happened in Eden. And you know what Satan gets us to do? He gets us to focus on the one thing that God has forbidden. You got a whole planet. And what does Satan do? He awakens in us discontentment with what we have. Sin is always rooted in a selfish mindset that is complaining, that is, that, that, that is anxious, that is worrisome about stuff they can't control, stuff they don't have. People, they, I mean, God, I mean, go, thank you for that one word that my mama told me. My mama said, she says, if you can't control it, she says, then pray on it. Don't worry about stuff that you cannot control. Trust me. I'm done. If you fail in life, it's not because God wasn't good to you. I know you weren't raised in the first Eden, but guess what? God sent a second Adam. And, and listen now, listen. Can I tell you what the new Eden is? It's called grace. The Bible says in Romans five where sin abounds grace doth much Adam and Eve had a physical Eden you're living now in spiritual Eden your Eden is grace what is grace pastor grace is getting what you don't deserve oh, y'all not hearing me now Uh, Pastor, how can you say I'm living in that? Because he woke you up this morning. Because he started you on your way. Because he forgave you your sins. Because he keeps providing and proving and protecting and making ways out of no way. When you pray, he answers. When you call on him, he is there. Oh, have I got somebody in here today that can testify that you're living in grace. You're swimming in grace. If it wasn't for grace, how many know you'd be in a devil's hell? Where my folk who was crazy back in the day? Cray cray folk. Where my cray cray folk that know if it wasn't for grace? Oh, grace kept you alive when your angel that you couldn't see was with your crazy behind in them streets. The grace of God kept you from hurt, harm, and danger. You didn't know what you were doing in that marriage. And and y'all don't know why you're still married. Come on, say amen. You look at each other and you're trying to figure out, why am I still here? Can I tell you right now? Grace and mercy. God knows you can't live without her and you can't live without him. They're your ticket into the kingdom. Somebody say grace. Why am I still in the church? See, the purpose of this sermon is to rebuke any excuse for sin. You're living in grace. 
Do you realize right now that your heart is beating? Your blood is pumping. Are you alive? Can I blow your mind? Are you a sinner? How are you alive and you're in the presence of God and you're a sinner? Somebody tell me why when we walked in here today, we didn't fall dead. The only reason we're alive right now in the presence of a holy God. At the Bible days, they could not come near his presence. The priest couldn't because if they got too close, they would be destroyed by his presence. But you and me can come in here with bad attitudes. Me and you can come in here with other agendas. We can come in here and not praise the Lord. We can come in here and be all over the place and we still live in. That's why the Bible said, let everything that has breath, you are alive because of grace. You're an elder because of grace. You're deacon because of grace. You deaconess ain't deaconess because you've been faithful. Grace got you there. Oh, y'all don't want to pray. I preach because of grace. Don't nobody in here deserve what they got. Let the old brothers of the church tell you that have lived 90 years plus if they ever have taken credit for anything that God has done. God will remind you that everything you have is because of grace. Reason why when you're in that car accident after you just got in an argument with your wife and you said hurtful things. Why didn't you die? Some of you haven't talked to God in weeks. Haven't cracked open your Bible. Why is he still fooling with you? Because you're living in Eden. You're living in grace. God help us to recognize that everything we are, everything we have is not because of anything that we have done. Some of us should be crazy. Some of you, if your children knew the things you had done, they would hate you. Any parents glad today that your children still rise up and call you blessed because you know you didn't parent them perfectly. The only reason why your children turned out halfway decent is because of grace. If you thank God for grace, I want you to stand right now. That's your Eden. This is the backdrop. Now think about it. Here's what I want you to think about. Every time you sin, disobey God, mistreat any of his people, you're doing that in the face of the cross. All right. 
Pass me down, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Is there such a soul today? God has looked so mean to you, so vindictive to you. But you realize today, man, he has pulled out the red carpet for me. He has been so, get this in your mind. God has been so good. Count your blessings. It ain't that bad if you still got breath in your body. Pass me not, O gentle say. Hey, hey, the my arms Somebody know you should be dead, but grace while on earth thou art calling Lord to Come on, saints. That pass me. Now sing it unto the Lord right now. Call him. Call him. I'm a crying Savior. Oh, blessed Savior. Why don't you hear my Some, no, no, no. Somebody needs to accept his grace. Come right now. That ain't for church. That ain't for unchurch. That ain't for saved or lost. That's for anybody that has a need for grace in your life. Oh, oh, oh if I was sitting where you'd sit now, I would have took off running because I need grace. Anybody need favor in your life? I invite you to come and just as a testimony say, thank you God for grace. If you know that your life is one big testimony, he's been gracious. Oh, he's been kind. I serve a kind God. I invite you to come. You just want to come and say, thank you God for your grace. Thank you for grace. You just want to acknowledge that everything I have, everything I own, everything I've become, it is because of grace. Don't get it twisted. You didn't do it for yourself. Hey, it's not your education. Hey, it's not who your family is. It's because of grace. Lord, do not pass. Come on, let's sing this thing. Let's sing it unto the Lord. Sing it! <laughs> 